welcome to the Patient Flow Podcast powered by Teletracking. On today's episode, we meet Seth Hostetler, Lead Process Engineer, Supply Chain Services for Geisinger, as well as Rob Teachout, Enabling Technologies Workflow Services Project Manager for Teletracking. The two have worked together on the implementation of a teletracking RTLS system at Geisinger. Located throughout central, south central, and northeastern Pennsylvania, Geisinger boasts nine hospital campuses, a healthcare plan with more than one million members, two research centers, and the Geisinger Commonwealth School of Medicine. Keeping the supply chain flowing at a health system of this size falls in the hands of Seth. Let's learn more, but first let's meet Seth and Rob, starting with Seth. My background is industrial engineering. Came to Geisinger in 2011 to join a newly formed process engineering team supporting supply chain and as well as some of the other support services. Uh, and we work in uh, several facets, process improvement, business intelligence, and then also one of our primary responsibilities is technology deployment. So that's how I've been involved with the RTLS since our adoption in 2012. We initially deployed RTLS for asset tracking. Supply chain was a primary driver of that. And so spent much of my time over the last, uh, what is that, nine years, uh, really trying to drive various use cases, improved use of the system, and, and really just trying to maximize the value we get out of the RTLS. I started in healthcare with a company that embedded uh, distribution teams that would essentially come over and take the responsibilities of the teams that were responsible for satisfying demand and the, the care continuum of, of high-volume equipment in hospitals. So we would come in with uh, our code system and, and a lot of sneakerware, and we would um, do the distribution, collection, cleaning, getting them to maintenance attention as required, and we would embed these teams across the country. And the focus was always on driving high volumes of utilization on these um, owned assets and any supplemental rental. One of the ways we kind of made our name was driving um, high volumes of utilization on owned equipment before they would invoke any supplemental rental. It was not unusual at all to drive um, infusion pump usage at 90% plus in some sites. And then I joined a company called Teletracking. Because one thing we always wished for back in those old days was if we had some kind of technology that would give us visibility rather than, than doing things like um, milk runs for soiled equipment, that sort of thing, where you'd send somebody out at scheduled intervals to collect used equipment from soiled rooms where they would take a cart, disappear for two hours, and come back with one device on their cart, or conversely, go to the first closet and find out they had enough stuff for three runs, just because without knowing the actual visibility of the equipment, you never knew how much you were going to encounter. So it was a lot of wasted manpower. And you can imagine in situations where you have a large volume of equipment idle waiting for attention, then you're jeopardizing your fleet as well. You both have an extensive background in process improvement and quality. Could you share an overview of RTLS, real-time locating software, how that works as a process improvement tactic, and then how it can positively impact capital overspend, equipment rental, and life cycle management. Seth, if you'd like to start. So RTLS is a process improvement tactic. 
one of the areas that we focused on early is really just trying to utilize the data within the RTLS to understand the actual workflow of some of our asset classes. And maybe I'll generally explain. So one of the, the great benefits of the RTLS is truly that real-time locating. So you can open the application and search for, say, an IV pump and find the, the nearest one to you when you're in need, if, say, you're a, a clinician on a nursing unit. And that in itself is a great benefit. But one of the things we realized early on is that the flow that we thought some of our assets were taking, for example, IV pumps, was not actually occurring. So we thought the process would be when a Patient's discharge is put in a soiled room that goes from the soiled room down to the basement to get cleaned and then put back into the central distribution to reallocate. Well, after we were able to, to review the historical data, we were actually able to see that probably about 90% of our pumps were being cleaned in place. And so we were able to better support that process and ensure that that cleaning process was done appropriately by educating staff and and re-looking at the the overall support, but also that helped us understand why maybe central distribution doesn't always have as many pumps as they would like to redistribute and that we may need to search, say, the clean supply rooms of nursing units to retake these pumps once they've been cleaned so that they can use elsewhere uh, within the facility. And similarly with capital overspend, uh, we actually were just working on something similar to this uh, over the last year, again, with with IV pumps. We thought we might need more, and and we were uh, able to use the RTLS to actually show that we do have plenty of pumps in the system at at one of our specific hospitals. We just needed to review that process and, and, and again, improve on that circulation of those pumps and make sure that we work with our clinical partners on the nursing units to, to make sure that those pumps aren't hidden away on, on on the unit they're recirculated because there's a, a typical flow of pumps uh, going from say the ed or the PACU out to the nursing areas so we want to make sure where they end they can get back to where they're needed in the beginning of that process uh, or over the last uh, nine years we've been able when a rental when we get notified that a rental asset has been that patient no longer needs it, we're able to look in the RTLS, immediately find it and reclaim it and get it sent back so we're not paying for any extra days of service. Rob, could you add your thoughts? An important piece of this is the removal from the room. And one of the education points that we typically uh, spend a lot of time on is that the device doesn't necessarily need to wait until a patient discharge for removal from the room. It can be therapy that device was providing can be complete before that well before that patient leaves especially if you look at modular technology where you might have a controller and then modules that that uh, snap onto that controller where the intent was to build those up as acuity dictates and then conversely um, take those down as the patient gets better so removal from the room it's typically going to go straight to a soil decontamination step as, as seth mentioned and then it's potentially it might go to a clinical engineering group or a biomed group for repair or preventative maintenance based on its, its condition or its uh, due date. And then you're going to start to repeat that cycle. And in terms of a process improvement tactic, you can imagine what happens if you don't have good visibility to any of those steps. For instance, if you're not getting the timely removal from patient rooms, 
if your soil collections start to overflow to the point where uh, they needed attention a lot earlier, preventative maintenance maybe not maybe suffering if it, we can't retrieve the device to get it um, PM'd in time. Any uh, maladaptive behavior that takes place because of a caregiver needing to sort of work in self-defense in terms of equipment availability. For instance, I have a patient that needs pain management, and I'm looking for this patient-controlled analgesic machine, a PCA. And the first time I can't find one as a caregiver, I'm never going to let that happen to me again. I'm going to have three of them that I keep in a drawer. And if I do that and Seth does that and two other caregivers do that, and we're talking about how your your fleet can have some inflation that's not necessarily warranted, and then Seth spoke directly to how they've been able to use data to look at their potential infusion purchases and be able to either uh, reduce or eliminate the, the need for that. And then the other piece certainly is par visibility. If, I, if I'm a caregiver who, you know, I've been with this hospital 25 years, and I know that I always have 15 IV pumps in this corner to start my day. The ability to see how that that number of pumps is depleted over time and show data, um, you might be able to um, free up the rest of that inventory also, when you think about your own fleet being distributed to places where it's not necessarily uh, in immediate need, sometimes what happens is supplemental rental kicks in. So you're renting against devices that you don't really need in a well-managed system. Yeah, some of that initial win is absolutely just being able to find assets when you need them, especially right, training our frontline staff to be able to look and find the asset and possibly not even needing to involve a central distribution group for a request. But I'll also say that's actually, I'd say, one of the bigger initial challenges as well. You know, they're used to, say, having 15 pumps sitting in the corner of their nursing unit, even though they may never be used. It makes them feel safe that if they ever need one, they're going to be there. And so one of those biggest challenges is to what I'll say is build that trust back, that when you request something, we're going to be able to get it to you quickly now because we can see where things are versus when we had no visibility. Uh, when you requested something, if we didn't have it in the in the central distribution area, we had to just go physically go out and look and try to find one. And when we found it, convince that unit to let us borrow it. So that that certainly benefit, but it's actually, you know, it's one of those change management pieces that organizations just need to be aware of that it kind of is a plug and play, but it does take some time to work with your frontline staff and and really change that culture back to a trusting culture. So definitely a lot of power in the visibility that it gives and the ability to analyze the data to see where, where the needs are. Seth, what challenges was Geisinger facing that led them to decide to implement the asset tracking solution? You've talked a lot about the IV pumps. Could you provide some detail around that that led to the challenges that led to the decision to move forward? Yeah, and in, in specific to IV pumps, that's really where we were able to make our ROI decision on. Because again, there nine years ago, we were actually in the process of doing a, a full pump replacement. Our prior pumps had, had gotten to the end of the life. We were bringing in a whole new batch for our two largest hospitals. And, and so we wanted to make sure we had the right number. Well, our audits, as, as we were doing this planning, really showed that we couldn't account for over 30% of our pumps. 
think about that. 30 pumps, and at that point, I think we were purchasing about 2,100 pumps. Had we not had the RTLS to help us with this, we probably would have purchased an additional 600 pumps. We've certainly improved on a lot of other challenges. I reference IV pumps frequently because we now have over 14,000 assets that that we manage in in our RTLS, and over 3,000 of those are pumps. So it's far and away our biggest asset class. Last I was cleaning some things up, I think we have about 160 different asset classes currently. We started with some of our higher runners, the IVs, the, the SCD pumps, feeding pumps was another very big win for us. With our feeding pumps, we were almost daily having incident reports being submitted that the nursing units weren't able to get those in a timely manner, and it was posing a patient safety risk. Through the implementation of the RTLS, we were able to essentially, I believe, go three full years without another report because we now had visibility to where these feeding pumps were. And I remember when that that MIDAS report came in, we we all wondered what happened. And we were able to look at the data and and actually prove, I think we had 48 in circulation, 45 were in use, and three had just been removed from patient use and were in the cleaning process. Uh, So we were able to actually prove we were nearly 100% utilized, and that was a very easy purchasing decision for the hospital to uh, understand that we were at the limits of what we could do with what we had. What stood out in particular about asset tracking? I I think it's the the precision with which we could locate. At the time, and, and I think really still to a large degree today, many Competing solutions use triangulation methods, either through ultrasound or Bluetooth or Wi-Fi, uh, and that requires very high density of those beacons, essentially, to emit those signals. And then that triangulation is not necessarily as, as accurate. It doesn't account for, for walls and specific spaces. What I think was one of the biggest advantages to us that we saw with the asset tracking solution that we've uh, deployed using the SendTrack hardware is that it uses the dual technology of the infrared light and the RFID. So using that infrared light, we're able to not only distinguish uh, exactly specific rooms, but we've been able to split rooms where we still have semi-private beds distinguish bed spaces, say in the PACU, or they're just curtains using it, virtual walls. And even our, our smallest spaces are our hallway beds and then the emergency departments are all specific locations as well. And so I think the the ability to scale from unit level coverage all the way down to that specific bed, depending on what our business cases are in, in those different departments or different areas of the hospital, was certainly one of the things that attracted us to asset tracking and, and ultimately led to us uh, choosing that solution. Thank you for listening to the Patient Flow Podcast powered by Teletracking. We'll continue our conversation with Seth Hostetler and Rob Teachout on our next episode.